Today on Understanding Immigration, Congressman Pat Fallon. To be a nation, to be uh, a nation state and sovereign, you need three things. You need borders, language, and culture. Coming to you from Washington, D.C., you are now listening to FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. All right. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. My name is Preston Hennekins. I'm FAIR's Government Relations Manager, uh, and today we have a very special guest. Uh, today, joining us on the podcast is Congressman Pat Fallon. He is the Republican representative from Texas's 4th District, and he's coming on today to talk about a new bill that he introduced, uh, H.R. 6706, the Alien Act. This is a bill that FAIR supports, uh, and it's something that it makes a number of changes to our immigration system, and we're really excited to have the congressman on today. Um, we've asked him to come on today to talk about the legislation and also to discuss the growing severity of the border crisis um, it, and how it affects Texas, his home state. Congressman, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for, for coming on and talking about this bill. No, Preston, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So uh, first, Congressman, just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and um, how you got to Congress and what some of your um, priorities have been since uh, you took office. Oh, thank you. You know, Preston, I was I joke around now because I represent a district in northeast Texas. I joke around that I grew up in a small town just northeast of Dallas called Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Um, <laughs> but uh, grew up in New England and my parents are retired school teachers. There's a lot to be said for growing up in humble beginnings because you appreciate so much of what you receive, you know, the boundings and the blessings of this country moving forward. My parents focused on the importance of education and the importance of doing everything, anything that you do, just choose to excel in it because you're gonna do it anyway. You might as well be the best at it you possibly can be. And I took that attitude, was fortunate enough to earn a scholarship to the University of Notre Dame, uh, played football under legendary coach Lou Holtz, and I believe in transparency. So I'll say practiced a lot more than I played. <laughs> we ended up winning the national championship my junior year. And what I learned at a very early age, at the age of you know, 20 years old, was that you need to always push yourself outside of your comfort zone. And that's what Coach Holtz taught. And so many of his players have uh, gone on to lead very uh, meaningful and accomplished lives because of the lessons that we all learned at a very young age. And knowing that your your best friend and your worst enemy is the same person, and it's the person you see in the mirror every morning. And that's what the left will never teach young people. And I try to do so at every opportunity that I get, is to let them know that there's no boogeyman out there keeping you down. It doesn't exist. It's a myth. The person that will keep you down is you. And we all have to accept that we will, we fear things. I fear failure and we shouldn't fear failure because you're going to try things. If you try things, you're going to fail occasionally. It's the, the successes that you're really after. So I learned that, uh, went into the Air Force, served our country for four proud years as an Air Force officer, and then started an entrepreneurial journey and was blessed. And it put me in a position where I could run for a public office and it was ran in uh, 09, I ran on city council, served for three years, was a fierce advocate for the taxpayer, did the same thing in the Texas House, two years in the Texas Senate, and now in Congress for 14 months. So that's great. And, and obviously that journey brought you to Texas, which is you know, now the epicenter of the Biden border crisis and is, is really hit by immigration uh, in a way that other states maybe don't don't feel, uh, and and so just you know representing a district in Texas and and having you know major life there now, you know, could you kind of speak 
to the inordinate impact that that immigration has had on your state, that it's had on your district, uh, and that it's had on your constituents? Sure. You know, illegal immigration has always been tough on border states. But what Joe Biden has done through his weakness and wokeness has made all 50 states border states, essentially. So what we've seen in Texas, the burden that we face here is we see a lot uh, on the entitlements to Medicaid is uh, hit inordinately hard because there are so many folks here illegally and also our education system. And it's into the billions of dollars, the actual costs. And what we're allowing mostly Mexico, but uh, several other nations to do is export their poverty into our country. And now the left will bash us and they'll call us all sorts of names and use pejoratives. The fact of the matter is we are, we're for a rule, the rule of law and justice and fairness. I haven't met a conservative yet that doesn't support legal migration to fit the needs of this country. And what we need to do is we, know, we need to know our stuff when we do go into debates. For instance, there are 3.8 million people in the world waiting to come to this country legally, waiting in their home countries, waiting patiently. Some of those folks, most of them are on average waiting 9 to 11 years before they get to this country. Sometimes it's even over 20 years. So it's patently unfair to allow mass unlawful migration and allow people to cross that line. And to point out to the liberals when they play the race card, of those 3.8 million people, Preston, 95% of them are people of color. They're not coming from Europe. They're not coming from Australia or Canada. They're coming from all over the world. So to inject race into this argument is absurd. What we want to do is have people come to this country and be able to contribute and to be able to succeed. Now, that's why the left loves the mass unlawful migration because they get people here that don't speak the language, that don't have a marketable skill. So what ends up happening? Many of them, not all, but many of them become dependent. If they do find work, they find work in where it's kind of more hand to mouth. They can't have a lot of savings. And so they're thrust into a situation where they're either below the poverty line or right about on it. And the left likes that because that dependency, they'll promise them things. We'll give you things. We'll, we'll play Santa Claus all year. Now, the legal migrants, I suspect that on net, they're not Democratic voters because they're independent and they're you know uh, enjoying the fruits and the labors in this country and the bounties that it has to offer. No, I think that's that's a great point um, and and absolutely correct that um, there is this this mismatch in in who the Democratic Party seems to be fighting for uh, in Congress. You know, you saw you know the passage of HR six and and the Farm Workforce Modernization Act, all of these bills that do everything to to legalize the millions of people that are here illegally, um, and they and they haven't really looked into ways to change um, the current you know, legal immigration system. And, um, and that's why we're here today to talk about the bill that you introduced, uh, the Alien Act, which does make changes to that system um, that, it, that restores integrity, really, to, to one side of the debate so that we can, you know, look at, look at other ways um, to improve the system. So I, I want to give you an opportunity to just talk about why you're introducing um, this legislation now. And if you could just give our listeners, you know, a 35,000 foot view of what this bill does yeah you know i would really honestly describe this and i would i'd love for your listeners to weigh in uh you know later on in their minds do they think that this is a common sense mainstream bill of reform because this is what this bill would do first and foremost there's going to be no more 
visa lottery, which is insane to sit there and say, well, there's not enough people from these particular countries with which we have no historical ties. So we're just going to randomly let people in and we don't know who they are. We don't know if they're going to contribute. They don't know if, if, if they, they're going to come here and uh, be uh, upstanding members of society. It's nuts. There's about 55,000 of these a year. We need a merit-based immigration system where we will put America first and we will take the world's best. So many people want to come here. Okay, we want the elite to come here, number one. Number two, if you overstay your visa, which many people do, unfortunately, it's about 585,000, I think, in the last year. They overstayed their visa. They do so because there's no consequence for it, for that action. We need to disincentivize and not reward bad behavior. So what this bill does is if you overstay your visa, you're fined $1,000 a day for every day you overstay. You could face up to a year in prison. If you overstay your visa and you you will not be allowed legal reentry into the country for five years. If you overstay your visa, you cannot claim asylum for 10 years and you cannot get a green card for 15 years. Furthermore, if you do it twice, it's two strikes and you're out. You'll never be allowed legal reentry into the country. Now that are those are consequences. And the last thing it does is this credible fear situation where these um, liberal groups give these uh, illegal migrants the they give them the down low on exactly what to do and say when they cross the border. So they'll say, "Well, I have credible fear. I'm going to be harmed if I return to my country. Oh, I'm claiming asylum." And one of the ways they can claim asylum is if they're just simply a member of a social group. It is so ambiguous. It's so open-ended. Justice Alito said the same. And so we want to remove that provision altogether. This is common sense, mainstream immigration reform. And the left is going to try to paint it as some kind of fringe bill, which it clearly is not. No, it isn't. And I, I think the the real strength of this bill is the fact that it's it's three changes that would make an immediate difference. It's not one of these, you know, you know, two thousand page comprehensive immigration bills that nobody knows what's in it, nobody understands what the the downstream effects would be. And, and I think that is really why we at Fair um, enthusiastically support this is because it makes three major changes to three major problems that we're currently facing. Um, and the first I kind of want to dive into a little bit more with you is uh, the, this diversity visa lottery. You know, this is something that, that FAIR has opposed for for a really long time, because like you said, it's, it's a legal immigration um, provision, but it, it makes no real sense. It, it doesn't target people based on their skills, based on what they can contribute to the United States. It doesn't, con- it doesn't um, take into account any kind of um, family relationship, which is how most of our immigration system is run on. It's truly just you you apply for it. And if you're fortunate enough to live in a country that doesn't have a large population in the United States already, you're given a, a free ticket to the U.S. It We know that it has, um, you know, horrible effects on the on the countries that qualify for it because it allows the the intelligent people that can navigate the system to leave that country. It's a brain drain effect. Um, so I, I know you hit on it a little bit, but I wanted to ask you more, you know, how did you first become aware of this issue uh, and, and why are you 
introducing this now because, um, it, to my knowledge, this is really the first bill that at least introduced in this Congress that has focused on the the visa lottery and, and trying to end it. Well, I remember reading articles about it because, it, you know, immigrate, illegal immigration has always annoyed me and it's always bothered me because of its patent unfairness. And the fact that a country, to be a country, to be a nation, to be uh, a nation state and sovereign, you need three things. You need borders, language, and culture uh, to be a successful nation anyway. And we're just ignoring the border. And then, you know, the left also wants to focus on, well, we want to be multilingual. And I mean, you see it with the ballots. To to vote, I couldn't believe that. I remember the first time I voted in Texas, the ballot was in English and Spanish. And I thought to myself immediately, why? To be to be able to vote, you need to be a citizen. And there's two ways to be a citizen. Either you're born here, which means you're going to be fluent in English, or you natural you were naturalized here, which one of the requirements allegedly is that you're fluent in English. So why in the world would you need a ballot in any other language? And when I looked into this, this is when I was a state rep, when I looked into uh, the provisions and some of the exceptions. You're supposed to be fluent in English to become an American citizen. There are provisions. If you've been here, if you're a certain age, or if you've been here for 20 years and still can't speak, and all this weird stuff, it should simply be, if you want to be a citizen, I'm not saying legal status, that's different, but citizen, you have to be fluent in English. That's not racist. English isn't a ethnicity. It is a language, okay? They don't get that. There are more non-white people speaking English in this world than there are Europeans. So take a breath and move on down the line. It's a practical thing. I mean, look at Canada. Case in point, Quebec. They've had two referendums that barely failed to separate from Canada because they don't share a language. They're all mostly the folks that are living, they're from Europe, but it's French speaking versus English speaking. We need to all speak one language. Um, so anyhow, then when President Trump really brought it to the forefront and saying that we need a merit-based lottery system or uh, immigration system and we have to get rid of the lottery system, rather, I said, amen, I've been talking about this for years. And now the president of the United States talking about it. Finally, this is great. And I said, you know, if I ever got to Congress, this is one of the bills that I want to file is to reform the system. No, and that's a great point. And I think that that this is really a great step in that direction of of transitioning to a merit-based system. And that's something that, you know, I know we at FAIR have been harking on for, for years, for decades, is that, you know, the United States, a, a developed, modern Western country, we have an immigration system that is so different from from other countries that are like us in the world. You know, you look at Australia, the United Kingdom, Canada even, they all have points-based, merit-based immigration systems that take into account your your skills, what you can contribute, whether you speak the language at a, at a fluent level. And I think one of the the first ways to really start getting to, to where we can begin that process is by making these really needed tweaks to, to current law. And I think eliminating the, the visa lottery is a, is a great step in that direction. Um, Preston, if I could if, if quickly interject. Think about this. Let's just let's reverse things. Let's say you or I were going to move to Mexico and we were going to live the rest of our lives there or a good portion, 20, 30 years. It would be insane not to learn Spanish. You will not function at the level you need to to enjoy prosperity 
if you wanted to move to Mexico and immigrate there and not be a Spanish speaker. It's just insane. It's no different than anywhere else. If you moved to Japan and you can't speak Japanese, you're not going to function in that country. That's all we're saying here. It just so happens that English is our, um, you know, the, our common tongue. So let's just recognize reality and not live in some world like the liberals where there are unicorns in your backyard and mermaids in your swimming pool. This is ridiculous. No, that's that's absolutely right. And and to to move to a, to a second point, a second question I wanted to ask you that um, really speaks to to the liberal mind. Um, you know, we've we've seen Vice President Kamala Harris talk about the root causes of illegal immigration, and and you know she's been focused on on crime and conditions in Central and South America. You know, claiming that these are the root causes that are bringing people to the United States. And that's been her her bread and butter as, you know, the borders are that has done nothing to actually solve the problem. Uh, so I wanted to get your take on this. You know, do you think that that is, is truly the root cause uh, of the border crisis or is it something else? Well, she said one of the claims she made, our esteemed borders are that's been to the border once and went to El Paso where there isn't the issues that uh, we face, you know, the challenges. People aren't really crossing there, but be that as it may. She said one of the root causes is climate change. Now, I'm going to agree with the vice president. It is the climate that changed at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue on the 20th of January 2021. That's the only climate that changed. The statistics and the data show that President Trump took what was a flood of illegal migrants and reduced it to a trickle. And then as soon as he left office, Joe Biden opened up the taps again and it became a flood, a flood, incidentally, of historic proportions, being that it's the first time in our history we have seen 11 months in a row with at least 150,000 illegal border crossings each month. It's the first time in our history where we've seen 2 million illegal border crossings in a calendar year. Never seen it before. We've seized nearly 11,000 pounds of fentanyl on the Mexican border, which is enough to kill every American eight times over and nearly 200,000 pounds of methamphetamine just on the border. I'm not talking inland seizures or at the ports, just on the Mexican border. The drug cartels are making wild profits. Estimates are $30 billion a year of GDP, which is the size of a small nation state like Latvia or Estonia. And they're controlling our southern border. This is, it's, it's, it's obscene. And the thing is, the mainstream media doesn't want you me and the American people to know the truth that Mexico is a failed narco state. And if if journalists in Mexico report on drug cartel activities, it's very likely that they'll be murdered within 24 hours, maybe along with their families. So there's not a lot of talk about what the drug cartels are doing in Mexico. And it is a dereliction of duty that the American press doesn't speak out, that Hollywood hasn't made movies about what's really going on. Because they don't want you to know. No, that's that's exactly right. And, and like you said, there there was a change, and it was when when President Biden assumed office, uh, and, and we saw this. We saw when new caravans began that year, and they were wearing T-shirts that said "Biden let us in," mm-hmm. because they they. T- you know, they were thinking rationally, and they had been listening 
to the previous you know year of Biden campaigning saying he was going to amnesty every illegal alien in the United States. He was going to give citizenship to all of these people. And you know that has consequences. And you know for him for him and for his vice president to now sit on their hands and, and and look at what's going on and say, well, you know, it, it's okay. It's okay. It'll get better. Uh, you know, this is, you know, for all these reasons that we can fix, it's, it's really shocking stuff. And so this kind of leads to my next question for you, which um, if Republicans are able to retake the House after these midterms, how would you and your colleagues be able to, to put pressure on the Biden administration to take the border crisis seriously? Well, you know, the first thing you do is because people I understand the, the pessimism and the skepticism of folks here in Texas and around the country. Will things ever change? D.C.'s broken. Are there really differences between Republicans, and Democrats? You don't seem to get anything done. Why didn't you build the border wall when you had the House and the Senate and the presidency, which is something that I've asked, which is one of the reasons I ran for Congress because I wasn't here at the time. So I, I, I get that. But one of the things like, for instance, this bill. In my bill, the Alien Act, we should pass this out of the House, put pressure on the Senate, which will hopefully and most likely be controlled by Republicans, to also pass it. And then get it on Biden's desk and make him veto it, make it a campaign issue to take back the White House. That I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, a lot of the time in the legislative process, you have to accept failure because then you can succeed. I can point uh, out to you, Preston, instance after instance in the eight years I was in the Texas legislature of bills that failed in one legislature, but then passed in a subsequent legislature because you just need to build up that support and that groundswell momentum to get the folks that are in charge to say, you know what, our folks may abandon us if we don't get this done. And and then put it, you know, put a pressure on. We, we did that. I'll give you a quick example. We did in the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, I filed an amendment that said it was a one page amendment that simply said that the border crisis and the border security is a national security issue. And it outlined a few other things. Now, we had 31 Democrats on that committee and 28 Republicans. So I really did expect it to fail. But it put pressure on some of those Democrats that are in purple districts or districts that President Trump carried. And lo and behold, we won the day 33 votes to 26 because five Democrats actually voted with us because they're afraid to face their electorate. So we need to pass really good policy, really good legislation that will also put the heat on some of those Democrats, many of them, considering right now the generic polling shows that Republicans have an historic uh, lead right now. I think it's plus 13% in the latest Rasmussen poll. So Democrats, the closer we get to November, I think some of them are finally gonna start abandoning Pelosi. They haven't done it quite yet because they need her money. And they need because she she rules with an iron fist and she directs those funds and she tells them, oh, you think this is going to be a tough vote? Imagine how tough it's going to be running for election with no money. So they buckle to her. But as that as that reliance on funding decreases and November uh, gets closer and closer, it'll be fascinating to see the the votes because it's only a nine vote majority. So, you you know, we flip five Democrats. We win the day. Yeah, that's that is a great point. Well, uh, you know, Congressman, we know you're very busy. Um, we appreciate you coming on the podcast. Before we let you go, I want to give you an opportunity to let our listeners know where they can find you on social media, um, you know, your websites, anything that you want to say before before we let you go. 
No, thank you, uh, Preston. And, and thanks for having me on. I really do appreciate it. You guys are doing wonderful work. And we just got to try to make all these great ideas become policy, you know, to, be, to become laws. And that's where I've been working together with you and your folks has been um, just a joy. You can uh, find us on our official page, which is Rep Pat Fallon on Facebook and Twitter. And then my campaign page is Fallon for Congress, or, or sorry, Fallon for Texas on Facebook. And then uh, our website is FallonForCongress.com. My personal well, uh, Facebook page is Patrick Fallon. And I welcome uh, any, any and all comments. We've had 30 in-person town halls. We call them no holds barred town halls. You can ask any question and I'll answer it. And it's great when liberals come because they think they're going to get you. And they actually ask questions that I really like to talk about and address. So it's a, a lot of fun. And uh, we want to continue to do that. And quite frankly, I think it, to, to close, conservative populism can save this country. We all never, we, we have to always remember and never forget that who we work for, which is our constituents. Fantastic. Well, Congressman, again, thank you for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure and keep fighting the good fight. Thanks, Preston. God bless. Take care. Well, I hope that you uh, enjoyed today's episode uh, with Congressman Pat Fallon. We had a great conversation about his new bill, the Alien Act, uh, and on the current border crisis. To learn more about FAIR, we encourage you to visit our website, fairus.org, as well as our social media channels on Facebook and on Twitter, at FAIR Immigration. This podcast is available on all streaming platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, And we really encourage you to subscribe and leave us a review if you can. That really helps us out, and we greatly appreciate it. And until next time, this has been the Understanding Immigration Podcast, presented by FAIR.